This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures. Welcome to our Digital Leadership Podcast. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day. This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures, with another edition of our Digital Leadership Podcast Series. Today, it's my distinct pleasure to have Philippe Bulliger join us today. Philippe is a serial entrepreneur and founder and technologist in digital industry. He's the CEO of ThingStream, providing IoT communications as a service to industrial enterprises globally. He recently just exited that company to Ublox, a global provider of positioning and wireless communication technologies for the automotive industrial markets. Prior to ThingStream, Philippe was co-founder and CEO of Kabauchi, an ag tech company he exited to Husqvarna Group in 2015. At Husqvarna, Philippe established a new smart systems business unit and product line. Philippe has a master's degree in computer science and a PhD in distributed systems from ETH Zurich. His academic focus was ubiquitous computing and indoor positioning, including research time at the Palo Alto Research Center or PARC. So great creds for digital industry. I've asked Philippe to really kind of focus on three things today. One, of course, his digital industry uh, journey. Number two is really, uh, he is a serial entrepreneur and a successful one at that, and talk a little bit about that journey and some of his companies, and also as a, what I would consider to be a deep practitioner in uh, in digital industry. Um, a little backstory, um, and that is that, you know, we've invested in a number of Philippe's companies, uh, including uh, um, Kabauchi and uh, and uh, Thingstream, and we also uh, placed him as the CEO at Thingstream as well. So uh, a long and uh, successful track record and uh, and career and partnership. So Philippe, welcome to our podcast today. Again, thank you very much for having me. A pleasure to be uh, part of your very cool podcast series. <laughs> well, you know, this conversation is long overdue. I think you were one of the Absolutely. first companies we invested in uh, about back uh, back in the day. Uh, I was certainly, you know, played a key role. Uh, I think it was in your board there at, uh, at Kabauchi yeah. and uh, yeah. And uh, and I know you know our our, um, our careers and trajectories and companies and paths have uh, intersected several times. So I'm glad that we finally were able to hook you in per se to do one of these uh, podcasts. So let's start a little bit with your your professional journey and how that has informed your views of of digital industry. Good question. Um, my journey has actually always been in the digital space um, in some extent or another. And uh, as you just explained in, in the intro, I, I started in academia. I started in research, working in ubiquitous computing, doing IoT back in, who when was that, 2006, 2007. So early days when IoT as a concept was not really known yet. And uh, I did that because it allowed me to just explore new things and, and go different directions with that promise of ubiquitous computing and the computer becoming ever smaller and becoming part of really everything. Uh, this, this beautiful vision of smart dust. And 
with this kind of high spirit and the sky is the limit, everything is possible, technology will allow us to change everything. Uh, I went into the first um, startup, uh, which was Kubachi, as you said, with this idea of, yep, we have the technology, it's all there, we just need to implement that, how hard can it be, and uh, create great products and change the world. And with this first encounter with reality, I found that it's actually not that simple. And the industry is years, which is a good thing, right? That's what you expect, years behind academia. And the concepts that from an academic point of view seem quite feasible are almost impossible to put into reality. Uh, I learned a lot, obviously, in that first startup uh, of how hard it is to build things, um, what you actually need to do to create a product, be it hardware and software, and figuring out how ahead of the curve we were with that idea, um, which was one of the main drivers why the strategic partnership, i.e. the acquisition by Husqvarna Group, made so much sense. Uh, we had... Uh, an advantage and it came to technology we understood what needs to be done in order to create such products but how to productize how to actually put that into a product that serves mass markets we didn't really understand how to do that and obviously didn't have the distribution and brand and in the second step then uh, being part of Fuscorna group being part of Gardena understanding what it takes to create the product that works uh, for, for exactly the consumer market and how that is something completely different if you now start to connect that thing to the internet and how transformative that is to a company that has not been doing that. This was probably the biggest, I would say, turning point in how I looked about digital. Um, who's Quarna Group, what is it now, 330 years? of history and Gardena more than 65, I think 67 years now. So very well-established companies that have been selling physical goods, one-off things, you manufacture, you sell to distribution, they sell and that's it. And now we start connecting that. And that's not just a question of some technology and a little bit of product management with different approach, but it's really transformative for the whole company. Everything needed to change. Um, we, we got the product out actually in quite short time, being part of Gardena uh, with what we've done before at Kubachi. But to make that stick and to make that work in this company of 14,000 people, we had to educate so many different areas and fields and disciplines. I, I couldn't imagine. It was not just explaining what it is to marketing, uh, making enable sales to sell that new product, but uh, after sales, new tools, new processes, suddenly we can talk to the end user of the product and not just the guy who sells that thing. Um, finance, everything needed to change. And that was a challenge. Um, it, it was uh, obviously if, if something as transformative as this is entering the area, that's that's a challenge and, and needs some decent change management in order to to stick and not just be a one-time thing. And how that can be done, even with it, within a big company, that, that was uh, probably the biggest learning when it comes to how to approach digital, um, what it takes, how mature you have to be as a company in order to be successful with IoT, and how much more that means than just understanding some technology and having a vision for, for a new product. 
You know, we've uh, we've subtitled, and in fact, it'll probably be the main title of this podcast, Full Stack Leadership. And uh, I think you did a great job of just describing both the technology stack as people think about it, but also the business stack that goes with that, right? You can't just yeah. introduce yeah. a smart product and, and hope, you know, for the best, right? Especially where it may change the business models, revenue models, um, your go-to-market models, et cetera, for a corporation. And whether it's a, a B2C good, uh, consumer electronics, if you will, or, you know, a, a large CapEx good, I think the challenges are, are you know, pretty much the, uh, the same. It's a matter of scale. Um, you know, interestingly enough, um, you started Kabauchi right out of ETH, and um, you know, obviously ETH Switzerland. Um, and, and you know, I've always considered you one of the most unSwiss Swiss that I know. In that you've got a <laughs> strong, strong entrepreneur bent to you, and and the Swiss are known for obviously being very diligent and 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 uh, careful and high quality workers. Entrepreneurship isn't necessarily something that you would always associate with Northern European cultures and such. And yet you right from the beginning jumped right in. Cause I remember some of your first pitches for, uh, for uh, Kabauchi at the time. Yeah. What, what drew you to be an entrepreneur at the time? And then also, you know, to, to do so in this nascent IOT area. Well, to me, it felt like there, there was no other way. It, it was just the thing to do. Um, which many factors contributed to it, I guess. Um, starting with how I grew up, my dad had his own business. Um, so I, I, I got introduced to the concept of being your own boss and, and being in charge of everything, but also making sure that everything runs at an early age, uh, being quite close to that business of my dad. He, he was a, uh, a lawyer, though, so completely different area. Um, but if you spend time growing up with computers, com doing computer science -y stuff and being in that area, the, the concept of a startup is very close. And, and you read books about how Apple started and how about all these other cool Silicon Valley companies started. So that, that's already a cool thing that you are interested in. And I think the final straw for me was spending some time in Silicon Valley um, in 2008. I was working in park. But you spend your time, you go for lunch, you, you spend your evenings going to meetups. And where it was just crazy. Everybody, whether employed or being in their own startup, was talking about startups. Um, even the guys that had a steady job were talking about starting their own thing tomorrow morning. And I think the biggest thing I've taken away, um, having spent some time in California, which is, and I guess that's where you, where you started, um, as a Swiss, things have to work out. You plan something, you execute the plan, and if that plan doesn't work out, it's a failure. And I learned in California that failure is an option, and that's an absolute prerequisite if you want to start a business. And once I've understood that, I had no blocker, nothing that stopped me from, from taking the risk, because I always wanted to create something. I always had that desire to create something that potentially could change the world, even if it's just a little bit. With Kubachi, this, this actually started as a thing that I needed myself. Uh, I created that plant sensor because I had a plant in my office and I had to figure out something that would help me to not let that thing die. And that's why I did it. And then a lot of people got involved. And that vision of how cool would it be if in every home there would be a few of these sensors and 
uh, we could make that vision of giving plants a voice and suddenly taking care of plants, even though it's not the biggest problem in life, is not a problem anymore. And we have a completely different way of approaching a thing or a, a living thing than we did before. And I just love that, that idea. I wanted to put that into reality. You know, I had um, almost forgotten that uh, that tagline, giving a plant a voice. And uh, at the time, we were doing a lot of work with Syngenta, um, obviously, yeah, large ag exactly. tech, right? And, uh, and that was one that resonated at every level in the organization, whether it was consumer or professional uh, gardening or, um, you know, uh, ag, right, big ag. And, uh, and yet it also describes in some sense, you know, giving uh, X as a voice of what the IoT is largely about, whether, again, large, you know, compressor turbine or a plant, right? And the ability to connect things and understand things and, and analyze and maybe predict things as well is the, has always been kind of that underlying promise of, uh, of the IoT. And I like the fact you used Smart Dust earlier because I think it was one of the first, for those of you who don't know, uh, MIT uh, uh, initiative, largely DOD funded at the time, but the idea that I could literally disperse lots of little sensors on any kind of field, think a battlefield in that case, and be able to have them sync together and start to detect things like motion and vibration and temperature and give me back, you know, early analytics, right? And, yeah. and the concept is is still a very valid concept. Uh, and in fact, it's being done more and more with off-the-shelf stuff, or at least being uh, um, able to be executed with a lot more off-the-shelf technology these days. So even recent conversations we've had with some of our limited partners and our funds have been around smart dust, right, and some of the concepts mm -hmm. that are coming. So it's very inspirational. And it's one of those things that give, uh, I think, give a you know a, a real good sense for what things could be. Um, when, when you started out with... About you, and you might want to describe a little bit about the traction that you guys did get as well. But did you have in mind an exit strategy? You know, did you did you say, "Look, I'm, I think I'm going to sell to you know Husqvarna slash Gardena one of these days"? Uh, the question is, what do you mean by these days? <laughs> we certainly didn't have one when we started the company, um, and I guess we'll come back to the why and how. But that was one of the key learnings there that. That's not a good thing. Uh, the exit strategy only evolved over time. Um, we started just with the vision of, okay, there is a prototype. Let's make this happen. Um, distribution, there is Amazon. Uh, sell stuff, well, there is a lot of digital marketplaces and e-commerce stuff. How hard can it be? Just, just see how far we get. And because we didn't know what it takes, we went down that road and, and took the adventure. And every now and then we figured, oh, okay, that's only partial goal. Uh, we thought that that's only how high we have to climb. And being at that point, we figured that's not yet the top of the mountain. There is another thing to climb. And doing that step by step, we just went ahead without knowing really what the end game would be. And after two, three years, we by that time had launched the app. We had over 100,000 users. Um, we had all the services in place. We had the hardware as well. And Kobachi was a two-step approach. Um, in order to get that plant care advice, it would tell you what you need to do. You could just start with the app, which was a free download, and there was no monetization really. It was a marketing tool. And then if you wanted that advice to be more accurate, you could buy a sensor, and that's where we would make money. And that sensor, selling that hardware piece, uh, obviously turned out to be the difficult piece. And we had quite some success selling that 
in digital channels and consumer electronics channels. Um, one of the biggest successes for me personally was that uh, it was available in the Apple Store, not just online, but uh, in, in the physical Apple stores as well. So that was really cool. And that was about how far we got. We didn't really get into mass distribution. And with that kind of product, we figured that, well, we should be on a shelf in, in brick and mortar in your traditional garden centers and all of these things. And that turned out then uh, looking into what does it take to make that happen something bigger and we wouldn't need it to spend more time, much more time, much more money. And at that point, we had to figure out what's next. Do we now do this ourselves, uh, do a Series B, big round uh, and, and make that happen? Or do we go strategic and, and join forces with someone who already has access to that distribution channel and has a strong brand? And we ended up deciding for that option B, which was absolutely the right choice because it was a perfect strategic fit. Uh, from a Kobachi point of view, we need a distribution, we need a brand. And Gardena uh, had both of these things, understood by that point in time that they need to go digital and connected, but had no clue how to go about it. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it's um, you. You talked a little bit before around the uh, role that you guys played at Husqvarna, and you know, for those of you, they they, they tend to be a little more uh, European in terms of a lot of their gardening, especially the Gardena stuff. But most of you will know their robotic uh, lawnmowers as an example, right? And yep. uh, and a lot of their their more digital tools these days. And I'd say your group was influenced in a lot of these. I think you and I last got together uh, uh, at Mobile World Congress a year ago, because obviously they didn't have it this year with COVID. But mm -hmm. uh, and they had you know one of the largest uh, exhibits there of you know robotic lawnmowers and everything else. So the metamorphosis there was pretty phenomenal in the time you know that they they acquired you, and uh, and I know you had set up this uh, smart products division there as uh, as well. Um, I guess question you know kind of thinking now as we as we move the conversation over to to thinkstream a little bit what you know what attracted you in terms of making the change from Husqvarna over to uh, to myriad and thingstream honestly I was just looking for a next challenge and that might not sound like a decent thing to do um, but that next challenge could also have happened at, at Husqvarna. Husqvarna was actually doing a super job, uh, Husqvarna Group and, and Gardena particularly, in making sure that this acquisition of Kubachi, they don't kill the business, they don't kill the culture we bring, this startup thing, this agile way of working. And I had a great time. Um, I, sp I spent three years at Husqvarna and, and, and pretty much enjoyed every day there. But for me, this was nine years in green, nine years with plants. I knew much more about lawn care than I ever imagined. Um, and uh, my role turned more into one of making sure these processes all run smoothly uh, within the whole group. Once the strategy, the strategy was done, uh, it was more about the implementation. And I've done that uh, once within Gardena and was looking for a next challenge. And two things drove me to look at things outside of Husqvarna. One was um, B2B. Um, I really wanted to do a B2B thing at some point in my life. I was, uh, I had a lot of experience with B2C. And B2B uh, somewhat was a dark thing that I didn't really understand. And I wanted to do more in, in that realm. 
but also wanted to be closer to my origins, wanted to be closer to the tech uh, and, and to the field of IoT. Um, and with that, well, you know it, can right? You, uh, you guys approached me. <laughs> this was one of the things I looked at, and it just sort of struck me as a brilliant idea. Um, so I went down that road, and the last two years happened. <laughs> well, exactly. So, so tell me a bit about the big idea. So, what is what is ThingStream for our listening audience? ThingStream is a provider of, as you said, IoT communications as a service. And what that means is we really take care of everything that needs to happen if you want to get the data from a device into the enterprise and obviously from the enterprise back to the device. And IoT, um, it's the Internet of Things. So you have things and you have the internet, which means you need to connect those things. And that seems like problem solved. We are all very familiar and very used to just being connected all the time. We have our phones and our watches and connectivity and, and can talk to the cloud and all of that stuff. But when it comes down to making things connect and talk to the internet, uh, things that need to be super small, that need to be battery powered, uh, last for years, and are probably traveling around the world and end up in crazy places, not just in the middle of the city where you always have cellular connectivity. There is a, a lot of problems you need to solve just to make that connectivity piece happen. And there is plenty of technology out there that can help you with that, but that's only part of the solution. Um, once you figure out which network to access and how to send something, you need to figure out the protocol. Security becomes an issue. You probably want a message broker in the cloud to deal with hundreds of thousands of devices, uh, firmware update. All of these things are still an issue. And by creating a solution that takes care of all of these aspects end-to-end, -end, we were in a position to enable enterprises to think about IoT and go about IoT without this being one of their issues. Instead of building it themselves or buying from four or five different vendors, going with our solution, help them to just reduce the time they need in order to develop a solution and by that also reduce the risk. And I believe that's one of the core issues we still have one and and why we don't see iot growing as fast as as it could according to some research looking a few years back is because enterprises are in this poc purgatory they struggle to figure out how to make something that works as a prototype work in actual real life and in large scale it's it's unfortunately too easy to build a prototype with a raspberry pi uh, and every engineer can do that on how, and, and have something to show to his CEO at the end of the day. But getting that to something that you can manufacture at cost and, and to specification, that's a difficult thing. Mm. You you did some amazing stuff in a very short time with things. One of the reasons why uh, Momenta likes working with you so much, um, you know, pivoted the company, well, helped actually carve it out of Myriad Group uh, AG, which was a Swiss, uh, our publicly held Swiss company, uh, setting it up, giving it a really unique brand uh, of, of voice and look, if you will. I know you love purple. <laughs> and, I and, didn't in and the first then, place, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and I know near and dear to our heart because the area that you really focus on was low power wide area networks. And your platform mm -hmm. did a great job at abstract 
extracting kind of the underlying protocols, whether you're using USSD in your guys' case or uh, LoRa, you know, uh, LoRaWAN yeah. as an example. And yeah. I know in a very short time, you engineered that LoRaWAN offering, you you went to market, you were, uh, you know, a real centerpiece at the, you know, at the uh, uh, trade shows and such. And uh, and so, you know, with all that in, in mind, it wasn't a surprise to see a suitor come along, you know, so quickly, in this case, uh, U-Blocks. But again, the, the lessons learned coming out of uh, out of uh, Kabauchi, did you have an exit strategy in mind? And, you know, was U-Blocks, uh, you know, part of that? Or did all of this happen in a, in a you know, an accelerated time frame? We did have an exit strategy in place when we started that. Um, I, I obviously had the lucky opportunity to be part of, to be become part of ThinkStream, you have to say. ThinkStream in 2018 being a project with the American group, but there already were a great group of people. There were, there was some technology. We had the first product almost ready to go. So we started with quite a few things in place and it was making sure that we can put that into the right perspective and mainly figuring how figuring out how go-to-market works. In, 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 in our analysis of the go-to-market, it became clear extremely fast actually that it's going to be an ecosystem play. Yes, we now make the communication part super simple and you don't have to take care about how do I get data from a device to the enterprise. But still, that's only part of the solution. There still is some hardware and there is many different ways of going about that. And once you have the data in the cloud, you still need to figure out what to do with that data, how to analyze, how to visualize and how to act on that data maybe, which is uh, very domain specific. So in all the projects that ThinkStream actually won, uh, the design and we have been part or are now part of the solution, it's always been an ecosystem play. and hardware companies such as uBlocks uh, going into the IoT space and figuring out what the features are and, and what the discriminating factors are that make a difference there. And on the other side, you have your big and small and super small IoT platform companies that know what to do with the data and how to visualize, but it all comes together in solution. And currently, this place of IoT ecosystems is not very homogeneous. There still is plenty of opportunity for things to move around. And it was our core belief that this market will consolidate and that at some point a company such as ThingStream being in the communication side of things and with this basically being in the sandwich of the hardware and the platform, it would be acquired by one or two, uh, either from a hardware company that realize they need to go upwards in the stack or from a technology company that understands that they only have an IoT business where they can sell something as a service per device. If there are devices on a platform, maybe they should make it easier and simpler for their potential customers to get stuff into their platforms. So with this understanding, we, even at the very beginning, when carving out ThinkStream uh, of Myriad Group, formulated the exit strategy, um, there were many companies <laughs> on on that exit strategy. Ublox was actually part of that. Um, we knew it's going to happen. Uh, I didn't expect it to happen this fast. But that is also down to the position, obviously, where Ublox is and the maturity they have within their own um, journey from being a hardware-only company to realizing that 
services is being uh, is becoming a, a crucial part to their future business. Mm. If you have half the impact on uBlocks that you did on Husqvarna, I would say uh, that uh, that uh, you're going to be extremely successful. In fact, uh, maybe another tagline, if we had to put it in there, was uh, 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 Philippe Bolliger, uh, impact as a service. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we, we have high expectations, uh, as, as we've seen your past track record in, in that as well. Um, Look, for those aspiring entrepreneurs out there, right, you're, you're a model of a successful serial entrepreneur at this point. So, you know, what, what advice would you give them on their own journeys, especially in this digital industry space? I think one of the most important things I've learned over the past 15 years is know your customer. It's of utmost importance that with everything you do, you understand why you do it and what needs, what that thing, whatever it is, needs to do in order to be of value to your customer. And the customer can be outside of your organization, it can be inside of your organization. But knowing exactly who your customer is and what that person needs is absolute key to making sure something is a success. Uh, only if you know that, as, as good as it gets, you can spend your resources, your time and money in the right place in order to be successful. And when it comes to creating a startup, uh, the customer certainly is outside of your organization. And I, I cannot stress how important it is, I cannot stress that uh, enough to understand who your customer is uh, and and what they need. I mean, in many cases, I've seen just the, the conception of who the customer is is probably wrong, because in the first place you think of X being your customer, and then looking at this in more detail, you figure out the value chain and how this market actually works and the dynamics of it, and your customer is some, someone completely different. And this other party now being a company, for example, has completely different needs and you need to do something else. So understanding who your customer is is the key learning, absolutely. Uh, another important thing is, and we already talked about that, is do have an exit strategy. When we started Kubachi, we didn't have one. Um, we didn't feel like we need one. It almost felt like a bad thing to talk about exit. Don't jinx it, right? But we, because of that, made some mistakes along the way and we could have saved time in understanding where we want to go. And this doesn't have to be a super precise strategy, but just understanding what the end game is going to be. Um, do you want to be a family business and 50 people and life is great or do you want to is the aspiration to go IPO or is it the trade sale? And if so, are you ready to sell? Are you ready? to take that step and do you know what that takes? And it's not just about putting the right resources into the right uh, place at the right time, but it's also about making sure that the team of founders, co-founders, or whatever constitutes the group of the most important people within your business, that these people, that these guys are aligned, um, that you have the same vision and that you aspire to do the same things. As soon as there is too much discrepancy in that, things will go sour. And that might happen, but you want to have, you want to be prepared. Uh, and that's probably the third learning there. Um, make sure that this does not happen as a surprise. But do make sure that you talk openly about why you're in this and 
what success means to you. And don't do that only once, but do that regularly because uh, ambitions and, and visions and ideals change over time. Great advice. Know your customer, have an exit strategy, and uh, to the Boy Scouts of America, be prepared, <laughs> as their motto is. Uh, is yeah. So, you know, in closing, we always like to ask two questions. Uh, first of all, you know, any startups that you see out there as the ones to uh, to watch, obviously, Momenta's investors. And so we always like to find out who the hot startups are. Well, obviously, all the stuff that you guys invested in. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I, I believe that in just as a general observation, in, in IoT, specifically in that low power area, asset tracking, I believe, is still the hottest area um, because it's not just about creating new products um, from an enterprise perspective why would you employ or start using IoT technology uh, and it's not just about creating new offerings and reinventing your business model but there's also a lot that can optimize your bottom line and asset tracking most often is actually just an internal thing where you want to save money or have better use of your resources and I believe we're now at the point where the hardware is ready to enable asset tracking for much more than it was 10 years ago. And, and that's just simply a question of how, how cheap can you get the hardware, to which price can you get that down. And the, the lower that price, the more opportunity for asset tracking. So I would say every every startup who has a clever angle on, on that approach uh, certainly will be on my watch list. Um, as a personal thing. I'm also not just uh, involved in IoT, uh, but in, in the HR space as well, at least to some extent. Um, my new bride, uh, Claudia, started her own business in HR some four years ago, I believe. Uh, having a complete new approach of recruiting and finding the right talent for businesses. And talent war, the war for talent has become a topic in, I believe, almost every company. Um, there are some resources uh, that are just very scarce and, and a job posting on uh, a board doesn't do the job anymore. And, and Lionstep, her company, has found a super cool approach on how to go about that. And I believe we will see much, much more movement in, in how this happens. Yeah, now fully agreed on that, and I agreed on your assessment of the company. Obviously, because we're in Exec Search, we look at these uh, augmented, if you will, tools for um, uh, recruiting uh, and, and staffing. And uh, hers, by far, is one of the most interesting on the on the market. So I second you on that one. Final question: any any recommendations of books or resources, or really, I guess maybe said another way, what inspires you, and how do you keep inspired? Um, I would love to say go uh, read that book or absolutely uh, watch this show or whatever. I, I unfortunately don't do much of that. I would like to do a little bit more of that, specifically the book reading. Um, what inspires me most, though, is talking to customers. Um, as I said, know your customer is the most important thing. And... I, I use that as an inspiration to create my agenda and to figure out what to do and make sure I have enough time 
to spend time with customers and talk to them and just listening to them of what they do and how they think about things and, and what their problems are is most inspiring because I probably uh, have a solution in my mind. We probably have some tech that could help them. And, and solving problems, uh, being an engineer by, by heart and trade, uh, is one of the key things. So that is most inspiring, just understanding what other people, what other companies' needs are, um, which is a lucky thing, I guess, in that regard. Mm. So we've uh, been very pleased to have Philippe Olger, uh, the CEO of ThingStream, successful serial entrepreneur, technologist, investor, engineer, uh, digital industry expert, um, and uh, uh, AKA Impact as a Service uh, on this call today. So um, I really appreciate the time, Philippe, and thank you for joining our uh, uh, digital leadership podcast series. Well, thank you very much for having me, Ken. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, thank you to the listening audience. And we will connect with you on our next edition. Take care. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Leadership Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the discussions. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of prior podcasts, webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.